morning, everyone. I hope everybody is well. I hope everybody is in a good place. I hope everybody's enjoyed coming into God's presence this morning. Uh, yes, we're doing the Ego Amy series. So, I am, the I am statements of Jesus. Um, on. We're doing the bread of life this morning. And in a minute, we're going to read from John 6. But before we start that, before we do that, um, I don't know whether you've got, um, we have at home, I don't know whether you have, we have a virgin box that um, is great. You know, it's really good. And occasionally, just occasionally, it gets confused. And it, you can't open channels that you're, you're looking for. Um, and so what you have to do is reset it. Um, so there's not actually a reset button on it that I know of. Maybe there is, but I'm, I'm not that adept with it. So what I do is I, I turn the power off to it for a moment, give it about five seconds, turn the power back on, and it knows what it's doing. It starts going and gathering all the information it needs so that everything starts to make sense again. Um, and that's what I'd like us to do this morning. Before we go anywhere, uh, I'd like us to reset for a moment. Because in John's Gospel, right at the end of John's Gospel, which is obviously contains the I Am statements, um, right at the, the back end of it, he says this. In John 20, that verse 30 and 31, he says this. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's John's purpose of his gospel. The whole thing, the I am statements, everything else, that's... That's, the, the, that's what he's doing it for. That's what he's composed this for. So that I, so that you who are not eyewitnesses, we can come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And believing in him, you and I may gain access to life. So that's the reset. So rem that, is, that is behind everything in this gospel. So, having said that, now, let's go to John 6. Now, John 6 is a fantastic passage. It's a very long passage, so we're not going to read it all. We're going to read just the portion 25 to 40, and then we're going to sort of pick bits out around that. So, here we go. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labour for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to everlasting life, which, is the, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do 
that we may work the works of God. Jesus, sorry, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna, the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I, said that I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, of the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So, bread of life. John chapter 6 is, like I said, a fantastic chapter. It takes place entering the last year of Jesus' ministry. Just going into the third year of his ministry, this is when this takes place. So he's already come a few years down the road. Uh, and now he's got to this point. This passage, the whole of chapter 6, takes place in 24-hour period or thereabouts. So, give or take a few hours, that's the sort of time span we're talking about. During this 24-hour period, he performs two miracles. One, he feeds the multitude, 5,000-plus people, with the most meagre of food supply. He then walks on the lake... And his disciples, those closest to him, are the ones that witnessed this. And then in Capernaum, he preaches the gospel. He shares a gospel message with them. All in 24 hours. It starts just outside Bethsaida and finishes at a, a synagogue in Capernaum. Now, the most outstanding thing about this period, and which is really difficult not to notice is the fact that it starts at the beginning of chapter 6 and we're told there's a multitude of people there. So many that, you know, they have no food. It's 5,000 plus. There's a massive crowd of people there. They're following him because of what he is doing, what he's demonstrating. He's healing their sick and then he feeds them. The end of the chapter... Within the 24-hour period, many people are leaving. Many people are saying, 
not following you anymore. They're going. Now you look at that and you think, but yesterday, everybody was happy. Everybody was following him. They wanted to make him king. Everybody was over the moon. The following day, by the time he's finished speaking in Capernaum, many were leaving. Now, imagine if that was us today. Imagine if that was a church today. And we start the weekend and we have thousands of people. You know, all taking part, all pleased to be part of a body. And then by Sunday evening, the numbers are depleted massively and people are upset. What do you think we would do? We would probably start to look at each other and say, well, how do we get that so wrong? What do we do? What did, what did we say? How do we cause offence? Find out what offended them. And we, we can have a look at that. And then see, see if we can remove that. See if we can take the offence away. Because we can't, we can't carry on like that. So we could start to maybe deconstruct the message. We could end up maybe shifting the message so it's not the same anymore. It's a slightly watered-down version. Because the church would look at it and say, we must be doing something wrong. Now, Jesus keeps to the message. He doesn't step to the side. Now, that being the case, you look at what the people are doing. They're murmuring. They're grumbling. They're complaining about what he's saying. They're quarrelling about it. They're saying, "This is a man. This is uh, this. Is this not Jesus?" Because obviously, sorry, this is the bit that we haven't read. This is where we're going with this. So sorry. It says, "This is what they say. Is this not Jesus, son of Joseph, whose mother and father we know? Isn't it him? That's him." How can he say he's come down from heaven and he's the bread of life? How can he say that? They go on and they say, how can he give us his flesh to eat? And at, towards the end of the chapter, they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Jesus doesn't budge. The rest of this chapter is the conversation going backwards and forwards. And he starts to answer them. But every time, every time he goes back and he won't budge. He doesn't change it. Now, I'm not thinking for one moment he doesn't care about these people. I think he does. I think he cares passionately about them. He's ministered to them and he's fed them. Some of these people could have been following him for a long time. He, I'm sure he is concerned about where they're going. We don't have any information as to what happens to these people after they go. Now, hopefully, at some point, they come back, or some of them come back, but we don't know. 
What we do want to make clear is this. He doesn't send anybody away. He doesn't say, you cannot be with me because you don't agree with my teaching. He doesn't say that. He doesn't drive anybody away. All he does is maintain his message. He is offering them bread, and they want bread. Lord, give us this bread, always. The, the bread from God, yeah, give us that, always. They've had their fill the day before. This is great. He says, this is why you followed me here. Because you had your fill. And they're saying to him, well, as, what time will you give us? What will you do to show your credentials? Oh, as we remember... We remember that, it, as it's written, they had manna in the de desert and they had that for 40 years. How about you give us this wonderful bread? Hey, for the next 40 years, what about that? And he says, no, I'm the bread. He's offering the bread that they need and they don't get it. The bread they need is only from him. It's interesting because when you think about the woman at the well, and it's a similar conversation, sent to her about, oh, if you knew who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him, and he'd give you uh, living water. And it's interesting because she says, oh, give me this water. Give me this water so I don't have to come every day and put the bucket down the well and draw the water. Make my life easier. Give me the water so then I don't get thirsty, so that I don't need to come here every day. We think on a level that is physical. We're thinking on our physical life. And he's saying, this is far higher than this. And you need this so badly, and yet you can't hear it. He says, this bread comes down from heaven. He says this many times. It's almost like, keep going back, keep going back, keep going back. This came down from heaven. I have come down from heaven. The bread of life comes from heaven because it's not available here. You won't find it here. Not only is he sort of passing a glance to who he really is, he's, he's saying... It comes from somewhere else. This life will come from somewhere else. It's not to be found here. Regardless of what we chase or what we go after, we won't find it. He tells them three times, unless my father grants it to you, you can't come to me. And I think this is why he is so confident in his message, because he is so confident in his father because his father is enabling people to come. Regardless of whether he, he wants to see people stay or allow them to go, he knows that ultimately the father is involved in them people coming to him. And he says, once that happens, I'm not going to cast anybody out. I'm not going to push anybody away. I will receive them. Now, I think... There's a difference between following and coming. In this day and age, people follow. 
they follow a lot. It's always been the case. But in this day and age, so much easier. You know, you can follow people. You don't even need to be in the same country as them. You don't even need to be in the same continent or even in the same hemisphere. You can follow them. There's no end of information being shared from people. People are watching their numbers. You know, how many followers does this person have? As if it's some sort of credential. Uh, how many subscribers do you have? These things are the currency of today. And we can, we can follow people. We can follow people, we can follow them because we like their ideology, what their thoughts are. We can follow people because, well, they're a celebrity and just want to know what they're doing. We can follow people and know all sorts of things about them. What they wear, whose parties they go to, what their politics are, who they give to. Uh, it's endless. But we probably don't know them at all. You see, there's a difference between following and coming to someone. See, if you come to someone, you, I, have decided that's what we want to do. Now, we all follow to begin with, but some of us come. He says, if you come to me, my father's enabled that for you. And therefore, he will take hold of you. He will raise you up at the last day. You're safe. You're in his hands. If you come to someone, you have obviously been deliberate about that. And you meet them. And hopefully, they receive you. You know them. You've met them. You engage with them. Jesus says in uh, Matthew 11, 28, Come to me, all of you who are burdened and weighed down. I'll have to, sorry, I'll have to find the passage. <clears throat> okay, this is what he says. Come to me, all you who labour and are heavily laden and I will give you rest. My yoke is upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He asks you to come to him. When we come to someone, we are allowing them to have influence over us. We're allowing them to, to, to help us. We're, we're engaging with them on a personal level. We start to understand who they are. Are you following or have you come to Jesus? There's, at the end of this chapter, where the crowd are arguing and grumbling and they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can receive it? Who can accept it? And they decide that they will go. Jesus says, does this offend you? And he starts to talk to them some more. And he, he tells them again, you can only come to me if my father's enabled you. 
has allowed you to. And then he turns to the 12 and he doesn't say to them, you better not go anywhere. He doesn't say that to them. He asks them, do you want to leave also? And the, the response is so different to what the crowd say. Simon Peter answers him and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Press the reset. Are you following or have you come? The communion table is here. We're going to have communion in just a couple of moments. Uh, Jesus says about eating his flesh. How do you do that? You do that by following him, by getting closer to him, coming to him, understanding who he is, spending time with him, studying, looking at his words. That's how you take him on board. You live this out. The communion table, if we think, well, we take the bread and the wine and that's it, this won't save anyone. This is to help us focus, to help us reset. This is here so that we can do something that brings us back to where we need to be. Belief in Christ and who he is and who sent him saves us. That's the thing. This is for us so that we can, uh, we, like I say, we can reset. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to take a moment, come up, share the bread and the wine. We will be dipping the bread in the wine. There's gluten-free on that side if that's what you need. Lord, we thank you that you are the bread of life. We thank you, Lord, that life is in you and is accessible in you unlike no other. Lord, we thank you that it's you that we come to. We thank you, Lord, that the Father has enabled us to find you, to come to you, to receive you, for you to receive us. Lord, we haven't got the answers to everything. We are confused by lots of things. But the anchor is, Lord, it's you that brings life. It's you that gives us everlasting life. Father, not just give us life, but change us, Lord, so that our lives bear fruit for you, Lord, so that our lives display you. Father, as we take communion this morning, help us to clear any clutter, to clear any, anything that distorts our view, and help us to reset and refocus on who you are. Thank you, Lord. Amen.